church, and happy Mother's Day. Um, I know Pastor Jim said this, but for many people, this is such a happy day as we get to celebrate the women who loved us and raised us, but we also know that for many of us, it can be a difficult day. But what I love so much about our church family is that we do take this time to honor all women on this day. Mother's a day that we can um, celebrate the incredible beauty and gift of being a woman. He put a nurturing, mothering heart in all of us, and we can celebrate that today. There is a special and unique way that women get to contribute to this church and to this world, and we get to celebrate that today. So one of the ways that we want to honor all of our women today, I hope you saw it when you came in, or you'll see it on your way out in the foyer, is that we have a gift for you. And... Um, there is a rose, and also we have this devotional and accompanying DVD that we hope that you'll pick up on your way out. Um, and I've spent some time going through this, and I'm excited. I think it's something that's going to encourage and maybe challenge and equip you to do some of the amazing things that God is calling you to do as women. So looking back to last week, you can choose to go through this by yourself. Um, I did, and it's great. But you could also get some other ladies together and I think spend some time going through it and there are um, watching the videos um, or going through the daily devotions for it. And I think that it can be a great tool and um, remember growing people grow with people too. But I've got to tell you that when I spent the past few weeks going through this, um, I thought it was great and I wanted to share a little bit about what I learned from this study because while I believe that it's super relevant for women, you guys aren't going to be left out today. There's stuff in here that, that could be great for you too. So um, I don't want you guys to feel left out. But it leads very nicely, I thought, into this topic that I want to talk to you guys today about. And that's this idea that as a church, we believe that saved people serve people. So before I dive into the actual teaching today, um, I'm going to give you a quick recap of what we've been um, doing in this series over the past several weeks. So we've been discussing this idea that if you've ever felt far from God, that it's actually not that uncommon, that many people feel that way. But the good news is God is closer than you think. And in the series called You're Not Far, we've been looking and asking this question, why would someone even make the decision to be a follower of Jesus? And we've been discussing that, and as we have, we've been examining what it actually means to be a follower of Jesus and unpacking the mission of this church so, and looking also at our five core values that we have as a church, that we believe it's what really exemplify what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So, if this is your first time here, or if you've missed any of these past weeks, I'm going to give you a quick recap of what we've been exploring. Our mission as a church community is this, to create experiences that light the way to a growing relationship with Jesus. And throughout scripture, we discover that in fact, this is the critical mission of the church. In Matthew 5, 14 to 16, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a jar. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the, in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So that's our mission as a church from our Sunday service, to what we do with the kids, to what was done with the teens, and even in our small groups. Our goal is to create environments and experiences that light the way to God through a relationship with his son, Jesus. So after we talked about the mission, 
we unpacked our first core value, which is this, that loved people love people. See, God loves you, and God wants you to love other people. In fact, Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love God and to love others. I love how Pastor AJ always uses the phrase, everybody you're ever eyeball to eyeball with matters to God, so they should matter to you too, because loved people love people. And then last week, we examined another core value, which was that according to the scriptures, growing people grow with people. Scripture clearly tells us that we can't do life alone. We can try to get around this and be a solo Christian, but it's not biblical and it won't go well. We need community in our life to help grow our faith. And as we talked about last week, getting connected into a small group is a great way to achieve that community. So that brings us to today. And today we're gonna unpack another one of our big core values. And as I shared with you earlier, it's that saved people serve people, that genuine followers of Jesus are naturally drawn by God to use their unique talents, gifts, and abilities, even resources, to serve others to make a difference in the church and in the world. So today we're going to look at two passages of scripture that really highlight this biblical truth, that saved people serve people. So if you have your Bible, you can get ready ahead. It's... Um, we're going to be looking at um, a parable that Jesus told in Matthew 25, and the other one that we're going to explore today is a part of a letter that Paul wrote to the people of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 12. But first, I want to start by asking this question, and try to be honest because we're amongst friends here, right? But who here has ever compared themselves to someone else? Yes, let's raise your hand if you've ever compared yourself to someone else. I think we can all say that we have. But in human history, I think more than ever before, we are constantly aware of everyone else. With social media, we can constantly look at the highlight reels of other people's lives and maybe start to feel horrible about our lives, right? And here's something that I've learned going through the study a little bit too, that no one wins the comparison game when we focus on the highlight rules, reels of others. So let me give you a little example of what I mean by this, looking at the idea of social media. Have you ever noticed that people typically put on their highlight reel on social media, right? So you see this perfect picture of a family, and there's a mom, and she looks beautiful, and a dad, he looks good too. And then there's three kids, they're perfectly well-behaved, and the dog is sitting still, and they have this beautiful family picture. And, you're, and they're smiling, and you think it's amazing. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, my family is crazy. Why can't I have a family or get a picture that's like that? But what we may not have seen is that this family is really like, and that maybe a few hours earlier, the husband and wife were having an argument, and they didn't put a picture up of that. They didn't put a picture up of their two-year-old running through their house, drawing around with Sharpie, or the dog peeing on the floor for like the hundredth time. They didn't put the picture of the mom crying before the picture because she doesn't like the way she looks, and she had such a hard time picking out what she was gonna wear. You see, in the midst of the perfect pictures that are taken, the family was probably in chaos, yelling or threatening at each other to smile for the picture. But all we see is that perfect picture. We like to show off our highlights, but not our lowest moments. And as we have in our culture today, people are always putting their best self forward, sometimes even an imaginary self forward. And then we look at the highlight reels, and we feel bad about ourselves. I'll give you another example of this. I'm gonna call it my I graduated from Eastern Nazarene College story. 
And I could tell you about some of my highlights there that I played on the college varsity soccer team. And I was liked by my teammates, and we had fun being part of a college sports team. In fact, I have a picture that is recorded in the yearbook for all time. See, there I am. We circled me up on, up on the team. I look pretty good, right? And you're probably thinking, gosh, she was probably a, a pretty good athlete to have made the varsity soccer team. But the story in actuality could go something more like this. I made the girls' college varsity soccer team because it was the first year that our school had a girls' varsity soccer team. <laughs> and they really needed players. And our team wasn't that good. We hardly won any games. And I wasn't a starter. I actually rode the bench most of the time. In fact, I called myself the two-minute girl because that's about how much playing time I got each game. All right, I'm going to show you this picture again. And this time, if you look a little closely, we see all the names are listed. And down in the bottom, we have circled. Yep, that's right where my name should be, three question marks. They couldn't even take two minutes to figure out what my name was, to record it in the yearbook. But that really is me. Um, ouch, right? Yeah. <laughs> but see, it's a trap we fall into when we play the comparison game. When we start to compare ourselves to the highlight reels of others, we can feel worse and worse about ourselves. Sandra Stanley, whose devotional book that we're going to give to you guys today, calls it the comparison trap. You see, when we start to compare ourselves with others, we can fall into the trap of either trying to make ourselves look better um, and by putting others down sometimes, or we just look at the highlight reels of others and compare everyone's best to our worst. But either way, no one wins. There is no win in the comparison trap. The good news is that God wants so much more for our lives than that. He wants to do greater things in you and greater things in me than we could ever imagine. And so he says to us to stop falling into the comparison trap. He says that the only thing we should really be comparing ourselves to is the calling that he has given us for our lives. And if we compare ourselves to the calling instead of others, that's how we truly win. I love how the Apostle Paul says it in Galatians 6, verse 4. Pay careful attention to your own work. Then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourselves to anyone else. Now that verse right there, it could set us free. Pay careful attention to your own work. And to help us unpack a little bit how we're going to do that today, we're going to look at those two passages of Scripture that I told you about. The first is found in Matthew 25, where Jesus tells the story called the parable of the talents. And in this story, the talent being referred to as a treasure and amount of money, but I like that it uses the word talent. So here's what it says in Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Okay, so the master shares his wealth, and then look what happens. The man who had received five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. So then, after a time, the master returns to check in. The man who had received five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. 
His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then it was the second servant's time to come before the master. And we read, the man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. So the master was really pleased with how these two servants showed stewardship and care of what he had given them. But now it was time for the third servant to come before the master. Then the man who had received one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. So the third guy was pretty scared of messing up and he just buried his talent and did nothing with it. And here's how the master responded. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. See, you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For everyone who has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Wow. So Jesus is telling this parable or story And he's speaking about the kingdom of heaven or God's intervention with man and what it will be like. And there are several things that we can take, I think, from this to learn. The first thing that we can learn is this, that God doesn't play the comparison game. See, in this parable, the master was just as happy for the first servant who who gained two more talents as he was for the one that gave five talents. In other words, the master was more interested in how the servants used and invested the talents that they were given than the actual amount of return at the end. And I think the same is true for us today. God isn't comparing what we do and what we have to the people around us. God is interested in what we're doing with what we've been given. The second thing that I think we can learn from this parable is that God doesn't want us to bury our talents. God has given each person talents actual talents, not the money even, (laughs) and he doesn't want us to bury them and do nothing with them. He wants us to use them for his glory in this life. God has given you gifts and talents, and he wants you to use them. So here's my question for you. Are you going to be a good and faithful servant with what God has given you? Because if we're too focused on others, rather than focusing on how God made us and gifted us, we can fall into that comparison trap and we won't use what he gave us to serve others. It kind of reminds me of this. I got a chance to attend an online conference um, recently, and one of the speakers was talking about this concept of home and how we're all drawn to this idea of home. And she said that when God created the world, he created Eden as this perfect home. But then we know that Adam and Eve, the first humans, sinned, and it was no longer, the earth was no longer a perfect place. So now what we have to look forward to is that perfection in eternity with God. But God said that between, between Eden and eternity, God gave in his incredible loving grace the church, the people, the body of Christ to be that representation of home. We the church, not this physical building, but all of us, 
Believers in Jesus, we are the body of Christ, the church, and we are what God has given the world to represent home. So how are we doing? Well, the Apostle Paul actually wrote a letter to the people of Corinth talking about this topic as well, addressing how they were doing with this. Paul had a lot to say about what it looked like to follow Jesus, and he even had some things to say about the body of Christ, us, our unique gifts, and why it's so important that you know God made you unique and with a purpose. In Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, he wrote to these believers who were struggling because they couldn't figure out how their unique personalities and gifts were supposed to work together. You see, some of them were caught in the comparison trap, and they were jealous about other people's gifts and abilities. Others were arguing about whose were the most important. And as a result, this group of believers found themselves struggling to be healthy and impactful in the world around them. So Paul knew that he needed to give them some guidance. And I think we can hear something from this guidance today as well. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says, The body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. So Paul's starting out by saying, look, we're all unique and different, but we're all part of the same body. We all have the same Holy Spirit living in us, and God has plans for all of us. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Paul is telling this group of believers that every single one of them has a unique role to play in the body of Christ, the church. And if even one of them is missing, Paul says the body would be incomplete. Do you see what that means for you and me? It means that God has given each of us a unique gift and purpose in this life and that you matter to God and you matter to the body of Christ, the church. In fact, the gifts and talents that you bring to the table, no matter how small you may think they are, are indispensable. Paul continues on in verse 18. He says, but in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Paul told these Christians that because they were created by God, they were created on purpose, with a purpose, and for a purpose in this life. Each of them had a unique and important role to play. Just like every part of our body, from our nose to our lungs and our ears, has a unique role, each member of the body of Christ has their own unique role to play as well. But even though our roles are unique, we have to work together, don't we? I mean, what's a body part that's disconnected from the body? It would be kind of like this. Yeah, I borrowed this from a science lab. No, no, this is just a prop. But it's gross, right? A hand that can draw and write that's connected to the body is pretty cool. But a hand disconnected from the body, it's gross. So, 
Think about this. If we, as the body of Christ, want to make a difference in the world around us, Paul is making it clear that we have to understand a few things. In fact, I'm going to tell you about three. We need to know our roles, we need to fulfill our roles, and we need to support each other's roles. To know our roles, let's see, you were made for a unique purpose with unique gifts, and we need to start to learn ourselves. There's so many things that we can do to start to get to know about ourselves. Then, we need to fulfill our roles. Once we learn about ourselves, that's great, but we actually need to do something with it. It's our responsibility to use the gifts that God's given to us. And then the third one is that we need to support each other's roles. When you know what your unique gifts are, it's easier to honor someone else's gifts without getting jealous or falling into the comparison trap. I love how Peter explained it in 1 Peter 4.10. He said, each one of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Each of you has been blessed with, by God with many wonderful gifts to use in service of others. So Peter says to use your gifts well. Our gifts are actually God's grace pouring out. Your talents and strengths have a greater purpose, and that purpose is to serve and love others with the love of Jesus, to be that home between Eden and eternity. When I was 16, I heard about this missions trip going to Mexico, and I decided that I was going to go. It was going to be my first big time away from my parents, and I would be going with a bunch of people that I didn't really know, but my parents said if I raised the money, I could go. I really didn't have any idea what I was in for, and that was a little bit scary. I was not an adventurous child or teenager, but I began to realize, even as a teenager, that life wasn't really about doing things for myself, and so that would mean that sometimes I would have to do things that might be uncomfortable sometimes. I hated being in front of people and wasn't a great singer, but we all learned some songs and some puppet skits in Spanish before we went to Mexico. I didn't lead the songs, and I definitely didn't, was not the speaker on this trip, but as I was serving on this trip, I would watch the room and see where there was help that was needed and just jump in and help. If I saw a kid sitting alone, I would go over and sit with them, even if all I could say was, hola, me llamo Julie. I'm not often one to organize and lead things, and God, but God has made me to be a great helper. And you know what I believe? I believe that God has gifted me to see things that need to be done, and he gives me the ability to help sometimes. It's been a long time since that trip, and I've grown and experienced a lot of other things in life. But I still look back to that at a time when I realized that my unique gifts were directly related to my ability to serve others and make a difference in the world. And you know what? When I learned this, it changed everything for me. And I think that if we all start to think about ourselves in the awesome and awkward and quirky and wonderful and beautiful ways that you've been wired, you can see yourself as a gift and be able to love and serve others. This could change the world. Did you know that we have people in our church community who hand make birthday cards for the people of this church? And then we have those that write out happy birthday wishes and prayers and send it to people. And if you're thinking I don't get a birthday card, you can email me in the church office and I'll put you on that list. It's fun to get a birthday card. It's nice. Um, so we have people in our church that uh, move tables and vacuum the sanctuary. 
We have people that learn to sing songs and play instruments to help us encounter God while we're here. There are people that donate clothes and sort clothes and give out clothes to the people in this community. There are people in our church community that open the door for you when you walk in and smile and say hello. People that make you feel welcome. There are people in our church community who walk around this building fixing things that we have no idea um, that are even wrong. They just come in and do that. There's also people in this church community who pray for you each week before this service starts, even those you are watching online. See, when you know and use your gifts to serve God and others, everyone benefits. Are you an encourager? Do you love to teach? Are you great at organizing things? Do you like mentoring kids and students? Maybe you're really funny, or you know technology, or you're great with numbers. All of these things are examples of gifts that could be unique to you, and there are countless more that I can't even think of. There is so much variety in the body of Christ, and it's beautiful. Once we begin to discover how God wired and gifted us, I believe he asks us to use those gifts to serve others. Why? Because saved people serve people. There are so many things that you can do with your gifts and talents. And you know what's really cool? The more you start stepping out and using your gifts, the more gifts that you develop or even discover, just like in the parable of the talents. See, God gave the Holy Spirit to us, and he gave us to the world to serve one another and to be the church, to be the hands and feet of his son Jesus in this world, to be the home between Eden and eternity. That is why we really believe that saved people serve people. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the way that you have wonderfully made every person here. God, I thank you for the gifts that you've given us, the gifts that we know about and the gifts that we may be even yet to discover. I thank you for giving the church to be your hands and your feet to the world before we join you in eternity. And God, I just ask that as we sit in here today, that we would start to be reminded that we don't need to focus on what everyone else is like around us, God, that you're just asking us to be who you created us to be. God, would you help us to not get caught in the comparison trap, but focus our eyes on you and what you're asking us to do. Would you help us to be people who use our gifts and our talents to serve others? God, we know that your greatest example of how we can just love others sometimes the way that we can serve others. And I just pray that we would be a church community that would really embrace this idea that save people, serve people. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together. Oh
Yeah.